Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we are talking about the film The Devil and Miss Jones from 1941 with my distinguished guest and resident silly person, Jamie Lynn Beatty. Hello, everyone. I just gave the intro. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. This is a beautiful disclaimer. This episode was recorded, I think, at the end of February of 2020. Though it's being released after our COVID world, (laughs) this was all uh, recorded before that. So we don't reference anything about COVID. We didn't know about social distancing. That wasn't even in our vocabulary yet. So yeah, I just wanted to leave that little note on everyone's doorstep and enjoy The Devil and Miss Jones. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I'm your host, Sarah Greenfield, and this is my guest, Jamie Lynn Beatty. Hi. And we just watched the movie. I know. <laughs> we just watched the movie, um, The Devil and Miss Jones from 1941. It was pretty yeah. great. What did you think, Jamie? What are your first impressions? I, I, I want to be honest. Yeah. I did not love it. <gasps> Tell me why. I think, and I feel bad saying that because I know you loved it a lot. I, I do. think I I wasn't into that main guy character, the Pete, the rich guy. Like yeah. he does, he's not endearing to me. I'm not like that. I don't care that much about unions in the 40s. Like, I don't know. Here's the thing. Um, I feel that I, I want to be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, be, this is like, what it's all about. I think, and we talked about this the last time I saw a movie. I like a lot of these old movies for like the escapism of, of it. Mm-hmm. And it felt like business oriented like it was like a lot of like talking and like plot heavy stuff that you had to follow and I wanted to see like more pretty costumes (laughs) and like yeah I don't know I feel bad don't feel bad I think what I like about it is I think it's really refreshing to see a movie where you know the rich person learns a lesson you know I think once I reframed it as undercover boss yeah. the movie, then I was like, okay. So we, that's what we should do first. We should explain what the movie's about. <laughs> okay. So the movie The Devil and Miss Jones is about this rich, not J.P. Morgan, but J.P. Morgan. They call him J.P. Merrick. And um, they say, they even have a plaque card in the beginning that we had to pause and read that said, this is not based on any real people. Please don't sue us. <laughs> um, Which was great. I think yeah. that the tone of the beginning set it up to be much more of like a funny... Here's the thing. I yeah. think I was okay. like, do you want to wait? Oh, wait, oh, oh should I finish that? <laughs> oh my God. We're both very tired. Um, okay. So yeah, it's about uh, this very wealthy man who is not J.P. Morgan, but might be, who owns a store called Neely's that is not Macy's. And he's never been in the store and doesn't really care. And this man is wealthy. They, I think they called him the wealthiest man in the world or the wealthiest man in New York. He's wealthy. And um, he decides to go undercover as a shoe salesman to see what it's really like in this company, especially since um, they're trying to form a union and someone was just fired for putting a fake devil-like version of him 
for hanging it outside of the store. So he wants to get names, and he wants to know who's going to join this union, and he wants to fire them. So he goes undercover, and instead he's treated incredibly kindly by all the people that work there, and he meets Jean Arthur's character, whose name is Mary. And she takes such good care of him and is so kind to him, and every single person he meets is very kind. And he finds out that all the people that have been kind to him are part of this group that wants to form a union, and that their complaints are really relevant and... In the end, he changes his mind and decides he does want to make everyone's lives better. And he marries one of the employees, and Mary marries this guy, Joe, who was kind of the outspoken head of the union leader guy. And they all go on a cruise to Honolulu, and that's the end of the movie. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Oh, shoot. Spoiler alert. Man, we're really messing this up today. It's literally undercover Boston because I've only seen maybe 10 episodes. I went through like a stage of like really binge-watching Undercover Boss. Um. And then what? it just like hits, like I, I'm convinced now that the people who created the show watched this movie and they were like, this is what we have to do. Because it hits all those things of like rich guy out of touch, takes a blue collar job to get to know the people that ultimately work for him. And then in the end, gives them a gift of like a party or a cruise where yeah. he treats all the workers. But I like that he also changes too. Because in the beginning yes. we see his boring status quo, which is he's on a diet of milk and graham crackers yes. because that's somehow good for your stomach and then according to doctors. Then he eats tuna popovers. Then he eats tuna popovers. I really thought they should have made a third. They were teased twice in the movie. They needed Another comically one? a third. I thought I had remembered them coming back in, but they didn't. I like mean, it, maybe it was just, yeah. he talks to S.Z. call and is like, you should make tuna popovers. Right. Like so it would have been perfect if he then brought... The, what's her name, Mary? No, uh, the, the Elizabeth. One. Elizabeth Pop. We've been like, oh look. If look they may have I've had them at their you. wedding. I enjoyed a lot of things about the movie. Yeah. I like. I enjoyed a lot of things in the movie. I don't you think I hated it. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I just was like, you I thought, thought it was, was going to be. Different. I thought it was something so different because of the opening credit sequence. Mm. Oh, maybe we should talk about that. They had a very fantastical opening credit sequence of like, the man is uh, Charles Coburn. And he's dressed like a devil, and they have mm-hmm. fire hell flames behind him. And then Jean Arthur, they pan to her, and she's smiling, and she's an angel. Mm-hmm. And they keep going back and forth between the two. And Jamie came in knowing absolutely nothing about this movie. And I, I think when I first saw it, I didn't know anything other than the person that I saw it with. Actually, I saw it with um, my boss. One of the jobs that I used to have was a food delivery person back in the day when I moved to L.A. And when it was a slow day, we'd watch movies. Oh. And... When my boss found it, my boss really loved classic movies, so he had like a whole TCM list. And so he said, wait, you've never seen this. We have to watch this. And um, so we started to watch it, and he knew a lot. And by the way, it wasn't just me and my, my boss. That sounds creepy. It was like me and my boss and like another <laughs> person that worked there. So we would we watched this movie, and you had to watch it in segments. So we'd watch the first segment, and then it, there'd give you a food order, and one of us would have to leave, and we'd have to pause it. But anyway, he had a lot of information about the movie. So I know a lot about the movie. Um, because of that job, and I appreciated it so much because I didn't know much going in, but it's it's so fun to see like a political movie from the past, especially mm-hmm. one that's relevant to now, and especially one that holds certain things like, I don't know, unions in high regard, or people being kind to each other in high mm-hmm. regard. Like, the people that are rich in this are almost, are vilified, but they also become better people in the end. Yeah. I don't know. I liked that. I like no, it. I love that. The message is great. The message is really yeah, is really. But you nice. thought we were in for another like. I just saw that I I'm a sucker. Like I love the charm. One of my favorite things about old movies, of the ones I've seen, is I like the old Hollywood production design and yeah. like seeing the costumes and like the the like magic of Hollywood. Yeah. And this was, 
And it's because it's a whole separate thing, but it was like yeah. a blue collar story. Yeah. And so. Although Gina Arthur still looks sharp in she's every great. scene. That's the other thing is like, I think I had a problem with the fact that it was like a male protagonist who I didn't feel empathetic. I, I didn't empathize with him. Yeah. And I wanted, like if a story had been from her perspective or about mm-hmm. like her life, I wanted to follow a female narrative more. I was really I, get that. I feel like she was still really strong though, especially she was. for the time. Because there's that line we I wrote it down. Um, there was a part in the movie where they're out. They all go to the beach at Coney Island, and uh, someone says, "What does he say?" He says, "A woman's place in the world is to tend the male." One of the men says nice. that to her as they're passing out like picnic stuff. She's like, "Don't you want to help?" And the man is like, "A woman's place is to tend to the man." And she's like, "Absolutely not. Open this yourself." Pew. <laughs> and so I feel like she's constantly she gives herself a seat at the table. Um mm-hmm. she stands up for herself. She stands up for the people she believes in. At the end of the movie when they give that one man the list of all the people's mm-hmm. names and he's going to use it nefariously, she, she dives, dives over the desk. Yeah. She's badass. Yeah. I honestly had a moment in that too. Or, like, early on in the movie, before she even did her crazy heroic desk diving, where I was like... Eat the paper. Oh, God. She... I was like, it's amazing that women in the 1940s or 50s, whenever this was made... 41. 41. That, like, they still didn't have a lot of equal rights. Because I go, like, women are so powerful. She's obviously the wisest, the wittiest, yeah. and, like, the cleverest person in this movie. And yet, like, she's still in a society where she's a second-class citizen. Right. And she even has, like, she really wants to get married so much. Yeah. And she's, she's a smart character. She's a smart character. And she's the arguably the best one. Yeah, she yeah. is there for every single person. I know. She stands up for them. When the, when um, Charles Coburn's character is in trouble, she oh, has yeah. his back 100%. She's mm-hmm. willing to go to jail for him. You know? Yeah. I, she's really great. Um, and I also actually, well, do you want me to tell you? So do you want to keep talking about the movie or do you want me to tell you about the Whatever. people in it? So um, one of the reasons I also like this is it kind of introduced me to Jean Arthur more. I had never been a fan of her that much before because her voice really annoyed me. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because that's one of the things that made her famous and that people liked about her because she has this kind of froggy, unusual voice. And it can sometimes be a little grating, but that's also the thing that makes her normal because mm. she's very beautiful, but she she does give off a down-to-earth mm-hmm. presence, and I think part of that is her voice. Totally. Um, and once I started to watch her, I became like really into her last year and watched a bunch of her movies last year, and this I'd watched a while ago, but... Uh, yeah, she, her name, Jean Arthur, comes from, Jean came from Joan of Arc, and yeah. Arthur came from King Arthur. When oh, they wow. made her pick a screen name, she's like, that's what I picked. Did they make you pick a screen name back then? I think, yeah, they did. Wow. They had to, like, pick what, you, oh, and there's another interesting story. So the guy, Robert Cummings, in this, um, Robert Cummings plays Mary's boyfriend, Joe, and Mary is Gene Arthur's character. And he's supposed to be, like, the young, handsome, virile man. And in real life, he was such a weirdo. Oh my god, hold on, I wrote about it. He had he started off his career having like a bunch of different names because he heard he somewhere somehow heard that British actors were getting hired more. So he had tried to be an American actor, no one hired him. He pretends to be a British actor and he chooses the name, I wrote it down somewhere. Uh Blade Blade Stanhope Conway. He chooses this name and pretends to be British for a bunch of years. And then British people don't become cool anymore. Then they're hiring cowboys. So he picks a cowboy name, which was Bryce Hutchins. And then <laughs> cowboys weren't getting hired anymore. Just be you, dude. <laughs> so then he finally gets jobs as Robert Cummings. And he worked a lot. Like, he worked. He worked a lot. But he wasn't, I don't know. I don't know him that well. I know he was in, I wrote down, he was in a bunch of Hitch, a bunch. He was in two Hitchcock films. 
And he was in Moon, Moon Over Miami. He I'm won just, five Emmys and he had five wives. Wow. He had three stage names. And he was a pilot. And he did not like Jean Arthur. And her famous thing is that she was very, very, very famously shy. And she would get really sick. She would like vomit in between Ugh. takes. Because she was so nervous. And then she'd come back on and be she a total is. pro and be flawless. She just had this very high anxiety and intense stage fright. And like wanted to be perfect in every take. Wow. And she did three Frank Capra films, and that's kind of how she became famous. Wow. And he was the one that talked about, like, her vomiting in between takes, but then coming back and being, like, oh, flawless was the word he used. Wow. Yeah. Can you even imagine? Puking before giving Oh, my God. Just being so nervous that you have to vomit in between takes. She got the job. We said vomit a lot. And she was older Think than about this. about how many women were up for that job that weren't true but she did it so well she did it so well you would never know you know and she was 41 years Um, old now it's weird to imagine that in all those scenes that she smells like vomit well we don't know that she vomited in between every take on this film it's fun to imagine it is fun to imagine she looks gorgeous you never know she was really she was a standout she's just got charisma and charm and it was the same way if we can talk about the other movie we saw like where i was like oh i get why marilyn monroe was so popular because yeah. I never saw her as a comedic actress and like I, I think I want to like because of how like women are perceived in history like history has made them like second class citizens or like they have fewer rights and like you just know in general women have always been second to men and so when when I watch these movies with you I think I expect to see them portrayed as dumber than they are and I'm always surprised to be like oh they're really smart and savvy and wise it's funny that the same society that was squashing them is writing really smart characters for them so it's like a weird disconnect where I go like they're so charming and witty and wise yeah I also have a theory I don't remember if we talked about this last time because okay so think we recorded um one episode um almost a year ago and Mm. we're finally doing our second one now so I don't like totally remember our conversation but I remember talking about the Hays Code but I have a Hays Code theory which is the Hays Code was um a set of rules that they put in Hollywood production uh to make sure things were safe for everyone to watch and it was really restrictive and while Mm. it was really restrictive at the same time people had to get creative about how to have female leads because not every scene like you couldn't have people doing scenes in the bedroom you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like they couldn't be having sex so how else were they going to talk so I feel like we have a lot of um workplace Uh, women yeah yeah that's right so that's kind of I think even though obviously the Hays Code isn't the greatest thing in the world it you know it sucks but it's good in the way of like like how do you come up with a scene where they're not just talking about other guys yeah and I guess the two women didn't really have any scenes together where they talked about anything but men but so I don't know that it passes the Bechdel test. I wasn't paying attention. Did the two women have a scene together? They did when they were talking about what he ordered for lunch and... Oh, yes. Yeah. Most... Yeah. Interesting. Oh, can I tell you the thing where I was like, you're oh, not yeah, going to like yeah. this guy after. So Charles Coburn, I was looking into him today. Because the thing is, you watch these movies, you recognize these people, but you don't know a lot about their lives. Sure. So today I looked into it and he was totally a white supremacist. Oh. And I was like, you suck, sir. Yeah. But isn't it ironic that he could be a white supremacist and like have that awful, shitty thing, but then also be in this like super awesome liberal movie? Right. I was just going to so, say... You know, suck it. Well, yeah, you might have been a white supremacist, but guess what? Are. Yeah, your message that was not yours. <laughs> the, you're in this movie that will last forever. And it is the opposite of what you think. That's really funny. <laughs> right? Isn't that sad? I mean, to be fair, there were only white people in the movie. Yeah. I mean, but, but I get it. It's yeah. very liberal ideal. 
Yeah, it's a lib- Yeah, and they could have had more people of color in the film because a lot of films at this time found ways of doing that, of presenting people of color in like a subtle positive way. Mm. Um, but this one didn't do that. <laughs> it was a lot of white people. I loved, I think my favorite part about the movie, which it like plays into what I was saying too, is seeing all the scenic design stuff of like what the store, the sections of the store was and like all the different shoe brands. God, that girl. We didn't talk about that. Oh, a little girl. No, we have so girl. many things to talk about. We'll get to that. She so, was great. There's a part of the movie where the boss, I keep forgetting everyone's name, so I'm just going to call him Charles Coburn. Charles Coburn um, is trying to sell shoes and prove that he's a real good shoe salesman. So he has his butler, S.Z. Zakal, who is a fantastic character actor who is so underutilized mm-hmm. in this. I know him from so many things, and I went, that's all you're doing? Oh, no, good point. Ah, anyway. He brings him in with this 14-year-old girl who is clearly... Jimmy, how old do you think she is? I thought she was 37. Then I was... I learned very quickly she was 42. By the end of the movie, she turned 53. She was old. She was not They're trying to put shoes on her, and she's like, no, I don't want it. No. It was almost rapey, the it extent was to which they were so pinning her down on a chair and forcing a shoe onto her foot. And then at one point, one guy, like, grabbed her pigtails and, like, held her pigtails. It was... After the other man said, hold her down. Yeah, it was very... It was 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 messed up is what it was. Out of context, or even in context, it was... Yeah, it was... But what a comedic moment. Ha ha ha. Yes. All for the shoes. The set design in the store was really cool. Mm -hmm. It was nice to see all the stockings. Mm -hmm. And I love all the shoes on the wall. Just, like, the boxes and boxes and boxes of shoes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that and that scene where she's, like, trying to bash him with the shoe. Oh, my God. Like, a lot of the physical comedy stuff yeah. was really good. Well, Great physical yes. comedy across Great the board. Great physical comedy. Gene Arthur was like, that was what she was known for, a uh. lot of screwball comedy. Oh, the director, Sam Wood, he directed two of the Marx Brothers films. Oh, so that So you makes could sense. kind of get little yeah. pieces of that in this. I totally um, see that. Yeah, he directed A Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races. Where did he spend the morning? A night at the opera day? You. Yeah. So An afternoon at the Automat. <laughs> That's that serious. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> oh, can we talk about popovers? Please. Okay, so Jamie, early on, uh, the character Elizabeth, who is like the older woman that Charles Coburn's character falls in love with, they go sit on a park bench together, and she thinks that he's so poor that he can't even afford lunch, so she shares her lunch with him. And it's tuna popovers. And Jamie was like, what's, do you, have you ever had a popover? And I was like, I think, I don't know. Are they, is it like a little breaded thing with potato in it? Or is it like Yorkshire pudding, but American? I don't know. So Jamie looked it up. Jamie, what's a tuna popover? I've had a popover before at Thanksgiving and it was literally, the one I had was like this. It was like a muffin tin with bread in it and the bread just pops over the tin. Okay, so that is what Yorkshire pudding is to me. Uh, I, when I've oh, had like English it, food and they've been like, this is Yorkshire pudding. That's what it was. It's not a pudding. It's a bread. No. Yeah. Pudding is like a bread there. It's confusing. Very confusing. Um, yeah. Bread pudding is like a delicious, bready, caramely, oh, gooey yeah. thing. See, yeah. This is literally the ingredients are eggs, flour, milk, salt. Oh, Super easy. So a tuna popover would be that, but with tuna inside of it? Well, let's see. Because that sounds pretty gross. Tuna and sweet corn popover. Oh, here we go. Canned tuna fish popovers. During the week of Passover, we eat special Passover popovers. Wow, say that. <laughs> special Passover popovers. Two cans of tuna fish, which is exactly what they said in the movie. Two large eggs. So it's exactly the same thing. Gently whisk the ingredients. Do you infuse it in the center? Pour the batter in the muffin pans. Ew. It's like mixed Ew. into the bread. <gasps> that sounds horrifying. 
So the tuna and the bread are one. Although I'm not one to speak because I did have gefilte fish for lunch and a lot of people think that's disgusting. But I was in the mood. It's Purim. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Happy Purim. Thank you. Sorry. I have no, no, no. I, I uh, we're clearly like, this is not our, our most awake alert moment. Yeah, look. There they are. Those actually look pretty yummy. They look okay. They look, to me, it's like just really gross to know that tuna is baked in with bread. Well, she didn't refrigerate them either. You make a great point. She did not refrigerate no. those things. They were, quote unquote, in a shoebox. Yeah. That she carried like around. Toilet, toilet paper, tissue paper. And we did, the diet was pretty gross. Oh, yeah. Where we were talking about, he's this rich man, Charles Coburn's character. And he's on a strict diet because his stomach is shit. And he needs to eat better. And so his butler serves him milk and graham crackers, and that's all he's supposed to eat. And I love this 1940s world where, like, milk and graham crackers are good for you and settle your stomach. And then he all of a sudden feels better when he eats real food. And they throw away the fancy wine. Oh, yeah, that was a funny scene. Yeah, when he brings fancy wine to the beach for everyone to share, and the people drink it and go, ew, this is crap. And they don't say that. They say something more eloquent. And then they pour Coke in it, and they go, it's even worse now, and they just dump it out. I want to know what it tasted like. Yeah, it was funny because we had wine we did. while we were drinking. And I always love it when you watch a movie or watch something and you're getting to drink what they're do drinking. the thing that they're doing. I like that too. It's like smell-o-vision. Jamie asked if I, was, if I had planned that and I said no. <laughs> I just wanted to drink wine. It would have been the perfect pairing if this was dinner and a movie. No, you just show. reminded me of that's. I loved dinner and a movie, by the way. Show. I really love that show. That they should bring it back and I don't know why well, they I don't, don't know how they would. It they could be do like it. on Netflix. Yeah. God, that was so such a good thing. I remember Ghost mm-hmm. Man. Dinner I remember on Her Majesty's Secret Service. That was a good one. That was a good one. Thanks for bringing that up. Costumes by Irina wrote down. Oh, that was great. I also wrote down Frank Ross. Oh, Frank Ross produced this. This was a fun fact. Um, so we were watching the credits, and I saw Frank Ross's name, and she, uh, Jean Arthur was married to Frank Ross, and then they got uh, divorced. So I was like, Oh, uh, I wonder. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Did they get divorced before or after the making of this? I should have looked it up, but I didn't. I didn't know. Hmm. I just know that they were married. I also know that she had an affair with David O. Selznick. Who's that? Who's like a big Hollywood producer, and that's why she got a career. Oh. Which is shocking because she's so talented. But apparently that was the original reason she got put in the movies in the silent film era. And then like she didn't do that well. And then she left and did Broadway for a couple years and came back and was like, look at this suckers. I'm really good at acting now. Yeah. Actually, that's what I was going to ask. This whole like transatlantic accent reminds me of like how people talk in plays. Like it's very weird how movies have changed yeah. and it's acting style. Like it, it's so affected in these films. Like I'm like, nobody talks like this. Did they even talk like that before or is this only like the voices they used when they were filming? I think movies? it's the voices that th- I think it's a mix. I think it's the voices that they used when they were filming. But I remember, I mean, my grandma came from Brooklyn yeah. and they moved to Detroit when she was like 17. But she had a really great accent that kind of sounded like a 19 really? like what we think of that as a 1940s. It wasn't so much transatlantic, but it sounded like a different time, you know? It's interesting and, to think about, well, now I'm getting to... Yeah, no, tell me more things. No, it's just interesting to think about, like, our millennial, like, vocal fry and, like... Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's as nice as what they no, were No, but how, like, voices change. Although, Betty Davis had a really great quote about this. I should send you this, um, this TV interview she did. It was with, um, oh my god, I'm blanking. That guy, that famous interviewer... Johnny Carson? Nope. Uh, Dick Cavett. It was oh. Dick Cavett. And it's this really great interview from the 70s that Betty Davis did with him. And she talks about how she thinks something has been lost. 
mm-hmm. um, how, yes, cinema now is really great, but there was this theatricality that mm-hmm. we used to have that yeah. is gone, and it's sad that it's gone. And I don't disagree with her, because yes, it's cool that things are very realistic now, mm-hmm. but they're, they aren't always, too. We still have an element of theatricality in how we watch Depends our TV shows. Me. Like, I would say a lot of TV shows have the a not realistic version of acting. It's like, just look beautiful and yeah, have your sure. face do certain things, you know? But yeah, yeah I, I, I like the theatricality sometimes. I do too. I like it with like the black and white movies and like mm-hmm. yeah, there's something charming, like cozy about it. Yeah. That's nice. And I did like the sets. You had asked while we were watching it, was this filmed in New York or Hollywood? Oh yeah, definitely. And it's, I, it was a soundstage, but I, I still loved, I don't know, I loved how they made the buildings look in the back and the way they made the mm-hmm. rooftop roof look. Was yeah. beautiful. And the way they did the beach where it was like a video of a horse on a beach behind oh them God. and then they were on like a mound of sand and it looked like they were on a hill on the yeah. beach. Yeah. They had a 10 minute conversation and that horse, we're just expected to believe that there's a weird shaped horse in the background standing there for 10 minutes. I loved it. Not moving. I loved I it. I loved it too. I love the sand acting. We talked about that. <sighs> that's the, See, that's the thing I miss about movies now. Like I just love practical effects. There's something really charming about it and I hate how much CGI is used now yeah. in storytelling. Well, because that, that, I think it did bring like a really textile, really cool right. image when they're playing with the it's sand like and art. talking. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and then when he gets angry and he throws the yeah, sand, sand down, and we look like, oh God, is he going to slap her? Sand acting? Sand acting. There was beautiful sand acting. I did like yeah, the beach scene a lot where everyone's crowded in together. And we had talked about, Jamie and I, like 10 years ago, we're in Coney Island together. Longer than that, even. Oh Many moons ago, Jamie and I were at Coney Island together. And it did not look like this. We were there on a popular day, and it wasn't as packed as this. I mean, was. that it looked like what quintessential Coney Island from the twenties. Like I've seen yeah. that image of Coney Island with all the bathing suits and the. I only saw it in Brooklyn, and that was a movie. <laughs> like that, oh. you know, the movie Brooklyn is the only time Sarah, I've seen Sarah, Sarah it. Ronan or whatever. Yeah, but there the bodies packed in like that. I wondered if that yeah. was really real. It was very congested. I'd been on the train, the old New York train that was there. Yes, they had a this beautiful old train. And I said, oh, can you imagine if it, the subway looked like that? And Jamie said, yes, I can. Well, only because I lucked up that I was a holiday train in New York. They pull out one train from the Transit Museum. That's so good. I miss the olden days. Look at that. But not, I, do, I also don't miss the olden days because we had even less rights than we do now. That's true. Wait, <laughs> side note. You have seen Midnight in Paris, right? Yes, but many moons ago. And we can't watch it again because of Woody Allen. Because we can't watch his things anymore. (sighs) Because he's a child molester. And that is a thing. So we cannot support him. That's my PSA. You disagree? You think we? I I, this has been very polarizing for me. But I've always I've I feel like I can sometimes separate the artist from the art. Where I go like I don't know. I'm not proud of it, but like no, I think that everyone's different. For me. It's also that he's still alive and still reap the benefits of his work. So I don't want him to ever make any more money off of me watching his work. I get it. So I feel like I will reassess this after he has passed away. But at, like as of right now, I just don't want him to get one cent yeah. of my it's, money. It's messed up. You know what I mean? But I, I understand your version too. Especially, it's especially hard when it's a very good artist. That's the mm-hmm. hardest. But when Michael Jackson comes on the radio, I have to turn it off. I have to. I cannot listen to him yeah. and not think about what he did. You know? That's a whole I other topic. But I, some people are different. Don't I, stop till you get enough. Oh, no. Please don't. No, I have to turn it off. Oh, I'm bad. Um, I'm bad. I'm, I don't think that makes you a bad person. I think, but I also think we just had a really good example of two people having different opinions, <laughs> respecting those opinions, <laughs> listening to each other, and then being like, great, you can have your opinion and I can have mine, and we're all going to survive. 
I still mm-hmm. really enjoyed the movie. I think I just thought it was going to be something yes. different than it Should was. Should I have prepped you in some different way? No, I'm glad you did. Okay. And I hope you appreciate that I am being honest. No, it. I totally appreciate it. All right, I <laughs> wrote some stuff down earlier today. What did I write? Oh, I wrote down things people were famous for. So Jean Arthur, I wrote her three Capras. Do you have your you watch have you watched Frank Capra movies? No. Are you he oh, I'm about to have a controversial opinion. I I like hate Frank Capra. I like Frank Capra back off. Back off. I'm the but, one who said I like child molesters artwork. So <laughs> you're not the one with the controversial opinion. I just like everyone loves his stuff so much. And I like it. It's like it's like white bread, you know? It's very lovely and delightful and morally upstanding, but it's not always my favorite. It's not what I gravitate towards. Um, But that's kind of why she got her career, because she could present as this... Hold on, they had a really great phrase for it. She presented as um, the everyday heroine, and she played a hard-boiled working girl with a heart of gold. And so that was kind of her niche. And so through Frank Capra's films, that's where she got this Mm. persona from. And I like that, even if I don't... Oh, he did... You can't take it with you. I know you've seen Uh, that. Ah, yes. Yep. I mean, he obviously didn't write it. It was a play. But he directed the movie. This movie felt like a play. It did feel like a play, didn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I loved the sections where the lover... Every time the lovers chat, there's someone pretending to sleep that's listening to the conversation. So when they're on the beach and fake J.P. Morgan is listening to their conversation... Please don't sue us. Sorry, J.P. Merrick. When he... He's listening to Joe and Mary, like argue about their future oh yes and then vice versa when elizabeth and him are talking she's pretending to sleep but is listening oh that's clever i liked that little twist i also love her bangs she does her bangs like that in so many movies and i'm always like how do you get them to curl that way girl somebody else somebody else does it but they're always so fantastic i've admired this about her in the past hair is very well coiffed um so yeah uh charles coburn has been in a bunch of movies too the thing that i remember him from is the more the merrier He's in another movie with uh, Gene Arthur called The More the Merrier, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. And it's about the housing shortage in Washington, D.C. during World War II. <laughs> and yeah. so this, um, is she a widow? I can't remember if she's a widow or if she's just single. A single lady, who for some reason is single but I can't remember, um, wants to rent out her rooms during a war shortage. And he kind of finagles himself a room and plays matchmaker and finds like what he thinks is the perfect guy for her and tries ah. to set them up together. And it's very, very cute. And he actually won an Academy Award for that. Aww. And she got nominated for an Academy Award for that. I love that. And I love it because she was in her 40s during all this. Like, mm-hmm. she's 41 in this. That movie was even later than this. Wow. And she's like this gorgeous, awesome, sassy woman. Still completely desirable. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, she's in her 40s. That's nice. Yeah, because I feel like nowadays they retire you, you know, when you're 30. Maybe not. I don't How know. How old was the other woman? I looked that up. She's uh, 86. She's 14 years older. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, that took me a minute to do the math. Yeah, math. Yeah, yeah. Math is so, for, for 1986, I mean, not 1886, she would have been 14 years older than Jean Arthur. Oh, I thought you were saying she was 86 years old. No, she was not, not 86 years old. <laughs> Sorry, she was born in 1886. So, Got she's it. 14 years older than Jean Arthur. Wow. So, she would have been 55? Is that wow. correct, math? Yeah. She looks way older. Like, I would have thought oh. Jean Arthur was like 24, and this woman was like. 60. Yeah. Oh, Charles Coburn would have been older than 60, so he's playing a 55-year-old in this, but I know his career didn't even start till he was in his 60s. Whoa. Well, his, sorry, his movie career. He was an actor before, he just wasn't in movies. That's right. Because he was married and his wife died, and he was like, that's sad. I'm going to move to Hollywood. Wow. Then he did, because when you're a man, you can be a star at 60. Sigh. 
Also, can we talk about the supporting cast? S.C. Cuddles Sakal. So S.C. Sakal was his butler. Oh, he was great. And he's in one of my favorite movies of all time. Christmas in Connecticut is one of my most Aww. favorite lovely movies. It's not, I'm not gonna, it's not like a great film. It's not like a meaningful, life-changing film. It's just like, for me, a very cozy, homey film. And he plays kind of a similar role, except he gets to be much more effusive and adorable. Mm. And so I was waiting for that kind of setup when I first saw this, I think. I always expect him to be that one character. Got and so it. whenever they tone him down, I'm like, don't you know the gem that you have? Yeah, you <laughs> And it was similar where he's, um, Sydney Greenstreet would have been the Charles Coburn character in that. And you also don't love him very much. And you're right, it would be more interesting if they focused more on Jean Arthur. They yeah. still do focus on her quite a bit. Um, do you want to talk about how he sleeps on the roof for a minute? Sure. So at one point, Joe has lost his job because he's so outspoken. And uh, he, they lock his room because he can't pay his rent. So he finds Mary and he says, Mary, I can't get in my apartment building. Can I sleep on your roof? And then they pan to her roof. <laughs> he's really going to sleep on her roof. They set up a bed. Can I have premarital sex? Adorable. Yeah, no, no premarital sex, except for that one couple who's allowed to have premarital oh, sex. Oh, yeah. Although they technically weren't I mean, in the they're bed. They're really into the other couple on the beach with like ear biting. Yeah. That's sexy. That, yeah, it got pretty real for a couple moments. I was like, honestly, yeah, the roof looked really nice. The roof looked sure. gorgeous. I think I would have loved to have slept up there. Mm-hmm. I was wondering about pigeons, though. I know there weren't any on set that day, but in real life, yeah, I imagine there'd be that. pigeons. And it was quite warm. It's summer. So I was like, dude, why do you need all those blankets? Yeah. Other than it looks adorable. Filming in Hollywood. <gasps> Back to that weirdo of a man. Okay, so that man, Robert Robert mm-hmm. Cummings, yes. Um, he was a pilot, and he was super, like, confident and full of himself. And he ended up getting arrested. <laughs> he did, like, so many weird things in his life. 1970s, I wrote it. Charged with fraud for operating a pyramid scheme. Oh, boy. He was super into wellness, so he started selling vitamins and stuff um, as part of a pyramid scheme. And then in 1975, he was arrested for using a blue box, which is a phone that, like, it's like an illegal phone that cuts into other people's Oh, I know this, yeah. Yeah, so in real life, that was what he did, and he was also a methamphetamine addict. Damn. This is all the information about him. What a scummy guy. And he had the audacity to not like Gene Arthur. Uh, Arthur, I said Arthur. Gene Arthur. Doesn't that bother you? That bothers me. Yeah. She was the judge. Also, no one, like, knows anything about her. That's the other funny part of Jean Arthur. Oh. She was super reclusive. Didn't, like, go to parties or give interviews. Whoa. No one knows almost anything about her except for her biographer, who did, like, in-depth research. Whoa. Um, and that's how we found out about how she had so much stage fright and all of these crazy nerves and things like that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And apparently, her contract expired in 1944, and I guess she was, like, running through the back lots going, I'm free, I'm free, and then, like, didn't work for years. But the next two times she decided to work were huge hits. Whoa. Um, yeah. Isn't that great? Or the movies. Uh, one was 1948, and it's famous, but I can't remember what it is right this second. The other one was Shane in 1953, and she plays, like, the mother. Hmm. And she's just, I think that's great. How you can be like, I'm retired, I'm free, I'm out of here. Back. And then come back and be like, just kidding, for these two roles, I shall shine. We should all be so lucky. And the last one was the biggest hit of her career. And I know she had a TV show at some point, but wow. it was in the yeah, 60s. I loved her. I she was it. fantastic. Hey. Oh, Charles Corbett has done so many good things. He's in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes with Marilyn oh, Monroe. Yes. Um, he's in Heaven Can Wait, which is it? He's in Lady Eve, which I love. He's in Edison the Man, which I like. Well, I did like it when I was young, and I wonder if yeah. it holds up. I don't know. 
won an Oscar for The More the Merrier. All right, let's see what else. Robert Cummings was in Dial M for Murder. That's exciting, too. I'm just naming things now. So Jean Arthur's a quintessential comedic leading lady, according to her Wikipedia page. Oh, she liked being filmed from the left side and would do almost anything to be filmed ah. from the left side. I wasn't realizing that, but you're right. She stands to the left a lot in this movie. Yeah. Can we also talk about the faces she makes in the background? Whenever they would pan to her and Elizabeth when J.P. Oh, Morgan's yeah, yeah. character was doing those silly things, her faces were classic. She's a classic. She's a good comedian. So funny. The physical yeah, comedy was, was on point, man. The director, Sam Wood, directed A Night at the Opera, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, Pride of the Yankees, Kitty Foyle, all really solid films. Oh, he helped with Gone with the Wind, but was uncredited. That's exciting. And he recast, he liked Robert Cummings a lot, and he cast him in another movie later on called King's Row that I've never seen. Hmm. And I'm not sad I didn't see it, because I don't know that I like him very much. Hmm. Oh, the other thing about Jane Arthur was her favorite roles that she played. When she was older, she was in Peter Pan, like when she was in her 50s. And she loved it. And I love that about That's, her. She's great. Right? Yeah. And this is on stage. She's a maverick. And she also liked playing Calamity Jane. So you're like, way to go, lady. Yeah. Who knew Morty these things about be. you? But oh, Calamity God. Jane was a while before that. Oh, and the writer. His name is Norman Krasna. He wrote White Christmas. Oh. And I went, oh. I never realized. I love White Christmas, too. Maybe we'll do a double feature of White Christmas uh, and Christmas in Connecticut. I've never seen Christmas in Connecticut. That's okay, I'll watch it. It's very cheesy, but like so lovable. It's a perfect Christmas movie. It's just delightful. It's sheer delight. Um, I wrote down, a girl has to go out with someone, because that's another quote. Yeah. From this film. Because you you know what, girls? You don't have to go out with anyone. Mm -hmm. You can go out all by yourself Mm -hmm. and have a great time. Mm -hmm. Not so much in the 40s, I guess. This has bothered me about the Golden Girls, too, because... Sophia is always giving Dorothy flack for not going out. Oh. And then, she, like, there's parts where she'll be like, you don't have a man to go out with. And even Dorothy will sometimes be like, well, I don't have a date, so I can't go out. And I'm like, no, Dorothy. Actually, you can go, you out. can go out. It's weird. That yeah. these women, like, something like the Golden Girls, which is all about, like, yeah. women. It's like a female-centric show is still, like, so male-heavy. Because well, you can't go out without a date. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's, they were probably, you know, they were having fun in the 40s and stuff. No, wait, they would be really offended by that because they would have been 50s. Doesn't matter. So something I want to do on the podcast is do like a perfect pair, um, which is pair movies with like what I think their perfect match would be is like a double feature. Mm. But I also, I almost want to make it a triple pair because I want to pair it like once with a star and then once with a tone. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm not even going to refer to what I had written. I had written things down, but you know what? I'm going to go off the cuff here. Oh, yeah. I think if you want to watch more Gene Arthur... A perfect pair with this would be Easy Living, mm-hmm. which is just another sheer delight. Easy Living or The More the Merrier, both would be a great perfect mm-hmm. pair if you want to appreciate Jean Arthur. And then I think a perfect pair tone-wise would be The Cradle Well Rock. Mm-hmm. Yes. Technically, definitely. it is a classic because TCM does it if it's 20 years older, oh. it's a classic. And that was 98, so technically it falls wow. into the classic category. Yes. But yeah, don't you think Cradle oh, Well yeah. Rock would be like a good... Oh yeah. It's union. Yeah. Union organizing. It's fun. It's kind of very yeah, big so and dramatic. And it's like of the time period. Mm-hmm. A little earlier. Cradle Rock was 1998? Can you even believe it? I thought it was it? an old show. It is. No, the show itself oh, is old, oh, but the oh, movie oh. The Cradle Rock oh, 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 is from the okay, 90s. Okay. Starring Jimmy Wilk. Starring James Wilk. <laughs> we went to, when Jamie and I went to school, we were in the theater program and uh, we were in, I was in The Cradle Rock. 
And the star of the Cradle of Rock was a man named James Wolk, who's now a famous man. It was Sarah Greenfield. The star of Cradle of Rock was Sarah Greenfield. And Rachel Soglin. Yes. She she had a really good song in that show. I don't really remember that show because I didn't know any of you guys. That's okay. We've strayed. (laughs) It's time for you to go. All right. So let's wrap it up. Closing thoughts, Jamie. Loved seeing like a fake knockoff Macy's, Neely's. Loved seeing the old New York. Really loved Jean Arthur's character. Wasn't so crazy with the main male guy whose name we were forgetting. Don't care. Oh, Jay- Charles Coburn. Yeah, Charles Coburn. Don't feel bad. He was a white supremacist. Yeah, so see, it's fine. Plus, it was just like a bunch of old white men. And he I looks think... like L. Ron Hubbard. That was my whole Whoa. thing. Like, I'll show you. I think for me, it's just like back then, if someone was like old white and kind of nice, you were like, ah, I like him. That's all I need. I don't need any real reasoning. He looks a lot like L. Ron Hubbard. What's the guy's name? Charles Coburn. He was in a bunch of movies. He won an Oscar. Thank you so much for watching this with me. It was really fun. I had so much fun with you. And we're going to do it again sometime. It'll be really fun. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you next time on Talk Classic to Me. Mm